Get your snack and beverage of choice ready. It's time to gather around the trash fires for a tabletop role-playing story. I'm your host, Beck Andrew Evans. Tabletop characters make decisions ranging from questionable to horrific in pursuit of their goals, especially when a table values going for the interesting route in roleplay. It becomes trash fires all the way down. My current and main running story for this podcast is the misadventures of the cohort from the Deviant the Renegades Chronicle I've been playing in since early 2021, and I play Jerry. For those of you unfamiliar with Deviant, it's a TTRPG about people who were formerly human, but were irreparably changed in traumatic ways to the point their very souls broke and they became something other. They seek vengeance on those who made them, those who hunt them, and those who seek to exploit them for what they are and will never leave them be. As such, this podcast will feature heavy themes and content throughout. There's an overall content warning for language, violence, criminality, homelessness, substance use, human experimentation, cults and religious extremism, mentioned torture, kidnapping, implied incest and incest-related comments, and abusive relationships. On episodes where there's a new content warning or a particularly notable instance of one of these, I'll call it out. Hope y'all enjoy hearing about my cohort's antics and stumbling headfirst into the mysteries of the world as much as I have. Broken, I'm feeling broken when I'm not near you. Green Country Calcination, Episode 3, Interlude, Escape Planning. Between the last meeting and next, the group decides they need to work on getting more information and supplies to make their escape possible. Jerry gleans a rumor from an orderly's mind that the Church of Charismatic Virtues, the church she grew up in, has been calling, but the orderly doesn't know much. She decides to dig deeper, mostly for personal gossip, in case she needs blackmail material. She's able to rip from him that his name's Caleb, and the call came directly to the ward, which is odd. Gabe took the call himself after the caller identified themselves, but a nurse named Beth initially answered. Caleb's hiding that he's got a crush on Beth, but doesn't want to make her uncomfortable by telling her since they work together. She also finds out that Caleb has a suspended license from a second DUI and carpools to work with Dr. Werner. Jerry later goes to Beth for more info. Beth tries to comfort her, but as Jerry's connected to her mind, she can sense that Beth is somehow attuned to Jerry's emotions on a deeper level than normal empathy, which skeeves Jerry out and makes her suspicious as hell. Mind you, as she's actively trying to read Beth's mind. Jerry is, however, able to tell after her initial suspicion from her culty upbringing of having to be able to mundanely be clued into people's emotions and motives that Beth's actually pretty genuine and even a bit guilty about the suffering the patients are going through. But she cares in any case. She still works at the ward, though, so there's that. Jerry decides to dig deeper with telepathy. She wants to know what Beth knows about the call to the ward, what she's hiding, and what Beth fears most, 
because Jerry has incredibly normal, perfectly hinged motives that may involve winning social interactions. All Beth knows about the call beyond what Caleb knows is that Dr. Werner sounded unhappy TM. She also knows that it was a follow-up call. She's hiding that she has an emotional and aura-sensing power that previously only Dr. Werner knew about, until Jerry started peeking in. She's most afraid that Camille will learn about her power and take her away like the cohort and the others. Jerry finds the information about Beth troubling and opts not to cause problems for her or push further. She connects to Zeus from the safety of her room. His surface thoughts are scrolls of binary like before, but Jerry puts a little effort in to link to him again and be able to have a conversation. He tells her he's been amusing himself watching the staff be increasingly paranoid because of the prank AJ pulled to aid the cohort's getaway from the room the other day. Jerry tells him that the Church of Charismatic Virtues called again, and Zeus explains that Jerry's father and his associates have been persistent in trying to reclaim ownership of their work. He also says that Dr. Werner has no intention of giving in to them, greatly frustrating Jerry's father. Jerry begrudgingly admits that maybe Dr. Werner is kind of alright if he's keeping her father from getting her and asks if that's the reason she can't file a police report like she's been pestering staff about. Zeus confirms that Dr. Werner's been holding off on that because it would draw unwanted attention and would get dismissed anyway. Then Zeus asks why she doesn't seem to trust the doctor. Jerry can't reconcile that Gabe's been a part of torturing Madison, who she still considers to be basically a child even though she's barely legally an adult. Zeus explains that he's known Dr. Werner for about 75 years, and he's always known him to be honorable and trying to reduce harm and pain where he can. It's just that the process of growth itself can be painful. Jerry's conflicted, but agrees to give Dr. Werner more of a chance. Zeus goes on to explain that Gabe's the last remaining original member of the Longman Society. He's been trying to keep the society true to its original purpose, but his efforts have proved somewhat futile. He's basically taken on time itself as an opponent and forgotten he's the only ageless one in that struggle. Zeus further explains that the Longman Society is based on a Cherokee, one of the native peoples of the region's legend of rivers. The society dates back to the Dust Bowl and was meant to protect life in the area by protecting the rivers, especially the Grand River, important for surviving the 1930s droughts. The green country, where the Chronicle is set, is full of lakes and rivers. The Longman Society wasn't originally focused on creating deviants, according to Zeus. It was all about the ecology. They got wrapped up in the Project Triton stuff because of the similar goals of protecting life through water. But now Dr. Werner hears Camille is far too focused on the side effects the technology is causing. When Zeus brings up Camille, Jerry already goes on a bit of a rant how much she doesn't like the woman, and especially how well she's able to keep Jerry from telepathically snooping, and how annoying she finds the lullaby-like song in Camille's head when she tries anyway. She also offhandedly mentions that while she can't get fully into Camille's mind, she's not like Dr. Werner who feels dead when she tries to connect. For someone who doesn't trust much of anyone, she already has a tendency to give a lot of very personal details to Zeus, 
who the cohort aren't sure whether they can trust entirely. Seuss helpfully and cheerfully explains that Dr. Werner's brain activity can't be measured or studied beyond to confirm that he's alive, and he muses that's probably why he's in the position he's in. He also mentions that Dr. Werner's nearly impossible to kill. Zeus also explains that the three superpowered individuals with access to oversee all areas of Project Triton are Dr. Werner, Camille, and himself. Jerry wonders if it has anything to do with Triton's mythical namesake, and Zeus thinks it's a coincidence, though still abnormal to have so many superpowered assets in one division. He further explains that Camille has a lot of influence with the board, and her interest lies in researching the results of the project's side effects, but she's highly unethical. Zeus was simply put in his job for practical purposes rather than sucking up to anyone or any particular aspirations on his part. He's the only asset who could do his job. Jerry thanks Zeus for sharing, though she has to go for testing soon. She says it's a shame he wasn't selected for his friendliness and shares information she'd glean earlier about the orderly Caleb having a crush on Nurse Bethany. Zeus is delighted to have new gossip he couldn't see himself and chatters on about how Caleb should just get up the courage to talk to Bethany. When Jerry says her goodbyes and is about to disconnect, Zeus says he's very glad Dr. Werner agreed to let them meet. As a last request for a soon-to-be-transferred patient, Jerry asks the staff for a deck of tarot cards and an interpretation book. To her surprise, they actually get her them. They're super okay with getting them, in fact, despite the previous ban on her keeping paper products. Within the next couple days, the whole group meets up again in the common area, with AJ showing up last, a few minutes late. He leads the rest of the cohort back to his bedroom. The ward staff is tense in preparation for Camille's arrival in a few short days, so they don't bother the cohort when they quietly pass. AJ, too, has all his furniture bolted to the floor, but unlike Jerry's, it's the normal hospital ward furniture and not the all-metal furnishings like Jerry has. He also has an empty bookcase, but has an MP3 player. The other strange addition is the large bathtub in the corner with all the tubes and gauges connected to it, and a cover with a head hole and vacuum seals. The cohort decides that first they need to update Robert on what they found. When Madison brings up the human sentient computer brain thing in the closet, AJ hushes them and asks them to get the light and blinds. He adjusts some buttons and knobs on his bed in a strange sequence, and then the monitor lights all turn off. Jerry turns the lights back on, and they resume their conversation with AJ explaining that the exception to having to turn Zeus's room entirely off is that each of the bedrooms have special codes that can turn their monitoring equipment off, and his uncle Gabe told him the code to his room. Madison also points out that Zeus can sense through not just cameras, but anything electronic and linked to the ward's network, since she communicated with him through an electronic lock. Jerry mentions that Zeus has known Gabe for about 75 years. Madison and AJ already know, though Madison is still mind-blown. Robert is just deeply confused. AJ starts to explain about a secret government mission to Antarctica 75 years ago. He says they found something, a mechanized city, strangely advanced tech at the time, and something happened, because they never sent another mission there. 
but people were affected, and there was a soldier who renamed himself Zeus after the mission among them. Because of the transformation, he also lost his memory. AJ explains that his form changes when he merges with technology, so when he disconnects, he'll be a real boy. He just sort of wants to look like a brain while he's attached right now. AJ also explains that Zeus isn't on a closed network like he'd originally guessed. He has access to the internet just as easily as the internal network and security systems. Madison wonders how they're going to escape if Zeus can see everywhere. And she worries that he's lying to the group since he only talks like he knows things inside the ward. Jerry corrects her that he can't see outside the ward, and he can't see everything, period, even within the ward. Jerry also mentions that the meeting was something Zeus wanted since Gabe approved it. Robert tries to process the information on Zeus's powers and wonders if there's more powered people they don't know about, and the cohort assures him that there are indeed more powered people, which frustrates Robert immensely. He's pissed they're not unique like he thought, and will probably get slapped down by the more experienced powered people for stepping out of line. AJ continues explaining that the high jump exploration got something else besides Zeus and other transformed soldiers. They brought back some device or material, something they thought could revolutionize the world and make humanity healthier and evolve. They used the water reservoirs through the Grand River Dam Authority but a group hidden within it, the Society. Gabe, Camille, Zeus, and others. Maddie's devastated. She trusted them, and they did this to the cohort. Robert's furious. Jerry tries to comfort Maddie, explaining it wasn't intentional. Not all of them. AJ explains, with more words in a similar vein, that the Society's like kids playing with toys they don't understand, and that they didn't mean to hurt people, and they're trying to help the people who got changed learn to deal with their problems. Maddie cries. Her friends are dead and she killed them. The society made her a murderer because they wanted to play God. Electricity sparks and discharges off her skin. Even Robert tries to comfort, a little, by saying he's not going to excuse them and their behavior for throwing people away. He asks if the cohort knows what happened to the Asian guy who'd voiced complaints and then disappeared. Maddie says he escaped. It's the only words she gets out through her tears. AJ and Jerry go back into comfort mode, though Jerry's more awkward about it than AJ. Maddie says she found out the society's testing them because they want the cohort to be weapons. That Zeus was trying to convince her to be an asset, too that she'd be able to hurt and even kill for good if she joined. She's horrified by the offer. She doesn't want to ever kill again, certainly not on purpose. AJ explains the weapon assets are more Camille's shtick, that she wants to be able to brainwash soldiers for the society, but doesn't get her way fully yet. Gabe wants them to escape because he can't stop her this time. Maddie rebuts that it was Zeus who offered her to give her the resources to stop the church if she'd become an asset for the Longman Society. AJ's unconcerned because Zeus is apparently ambivalent and thinks if he's just open as possible, the cohort will make the decision he wants, 
but still believes in the original mission of the society, though he doesn't trust Camille. And because he doesn't trust Camille and her methods, he's willing to help the cohort escape. Robert warns the group to stop believing people that are probably manipulating them, but the cohort largely ignores him. Jerry reports that she learned Zeus is delighted by petty gossip, something a computer shouldn't be interested in. She thinks he seems comfortable in his spot where he's able to watch over things for now. Maddie wants to talk to Jerry about the church and mentions she knows they're trying to get Jerry back. Jerry's anger flares even as she explains she already knew, and bits of scarlet red wisps of her lash spills out uncontrolled, singeing things around her. Maddie continues, in a disturbed sort of daze and not seeming to notice what's going on with Jerry, that the church did a memorial for all her dead friends, despite her friends being Catholic and not anything near the denomination of charismatic virtues, despite them all going to Casca Hall. It was most of Casca Hall's cheerleading and football team. AJ muses that Zeus is torn between the programming of the servers and his own feelings, and says Gabe told him that he thinks if the cohort can shut the server off somehow, Zeus might be ejected and be able to join the cohort. Robert has a moment of disbelief, questioning if they can really trust Gabe's advice, since he's one of the ones who made the cohort like this. Hell, Jerry has weird magic stuff around her now. He asks the group what they'll even do when they get out, since they can't exactly just go into society like they are. The mixed confusion and anger is clear in his face and body language. Jerry turns to Maddie and the others and explains that her old church isn't a normal church. It believes in spiritual gifts, but even more literal than the Bible, because her father was a real faith healer pastor. It was tradition for the pastors and elders to have real spiritual gifts, and her father had wanted her to become a pastor. But she'd come to think maybe it was fake after all, until she could read minds. She also confirms that the church doesn't agree with Catholics or other faiths. AJ thinks for a moment after Robert's question and answers sincerely. He wants to explore Antarctica and find the mechanized city he'd heard about. Maddie says she thinks the church has Cassidy hostage since she disappeared right after the memorial. Jerry uncomfortably explains that the church is after the gifted and might settle for converts if they can't get her back. Clearly, according to Jerry, the church needs to be raised. Robert says he'll help with whatever. He doesn't have much to go back to. He just hopes his cat is okay. Madison says obviously her priority is rescuing Cassidy. Jerry offers to help them with their objectives, the rescue and AJ's quest, but she wants to destroy everything, absolutely every little thing her father loves. Though she's not going to force any of the others to help her with that part. She's not like her family or the Logman Society. She just wants them to not get in her way. She also expresses interest in knowing more about what they are and why they are the way they are. AJ agrees to help, but says he's not going to hurt anyone. He doesn't want to become a weapon. Jerry asks him what his powers even are, besides nepotism, and he claims he doesn't have any, but that he can help with distractions and little last-minute gadgets. When asked, Maddie's unsure whether Cassidy is like the cohort. She was helping Maddie from outside the ward with exposing Jerry's church before she went dark. She also says she'll do whatever she has to to rescue Cassidy, 
even though she doesn't want to hurt anyone ever again. Robert has no qualms about hurting anyone. In fact, he's pretty pissed with a lot of people now that he's learned what's actually going on. He offers to do the dirty work for any of the cohort who are squeamish. Jerry says she's not squeamish, which Robert is grateful for. He says the wisps look useful. Jerry doesn't know how to control them yet, or if she'll be able to, but it's why her clothes and much of the ward staff's clothes who have to deal with her end up singed, and she ends up stuck wearing scrubs she hates. Madison, ashamed, says her biggest problem is going to be not hurting people. AJ chimes in that he can make action playlists to get everyone in the mood, which Jerry counters that AJ can at least be distracting. They continue sharing what they know of their new powers. Jerry says if she tries hard, she can make a private mental group chat. And she can burn stuff, but she doesn't know how to control that well yet. Madison isn't really sure what she can do, mostly that it involves electricity and lightning. She can make electronics do what she wants, and had at least some control over storms the once. Her body makes electricity she can discharge outward too. And the ward keeps trying to figure out what can and can't hurt her. Electricity, fire, and cold don't. She can still drown. She's not immune to drugs. And acid still hurts. She gets awkward and picks at her scrubs as she lists off her immunities. Everyone goes very quiet in horror and anger listening to what happened and what was implied to have happened to her. Jerry very nearly hits something, and her lash threatens to become a potential problem yet again, singeing bits of clothing. AJ quietly apologizes to Maddie. Jerry, by way of comforting, promises that the ones who hurt Maddie will pay. Robert explains that sunlight and running water hurt him now, and he sees fucked up things with auras he doesn't understand. He can get bigger, about as big as a moose, he thinks, and his skin gets tougher, though he's only done it once and it was in an office full of people. He's determined to be the group's protector. Maddie suggests, while Jerry continues to comfort her, that maybe AJ doesn't know what his powers are because it's something really subtle, like being ageless like his uncle Gabe. Robert and Jerry think that's a reasonable enough explanation. AJ good-naturedly plays it off. Maddie wonders if Gabe is AJ's blood uncle, and if so, how old even are AJ's parents? AJ gets visibly uncomfortable as he admits that Gabe confessed that he's actually AJ's great-great-many-greats-he's-not-quite-sure-how-many-grandfather, and he's been sticking around guiding the bloodline. And also that Gabe's not sure what happened to make him like he is, or maybe he just doesn't want to tell AJ. Maddie asks Jerry if she could figure out more about Gabe without being caught, and AJ puts a stop to that right away, telling the girls that Gabe also has basically a black hole for a brain and can't be mind-read, which Jerry confirms because of course she's already tried. She says she thinks his brain works on a different wavelength than she can hear like a radio. Maddie asks if they mean, like, that old vampire movie, and the others all take psychic damage from Twilight being referred to as old. Jerry says they need to gather intel on the guard rounds and to shut off Zeus's room when it's time, and also lets them know that from her observations, the staff has been taught to be resistant to mind-reading attempts. Not immune, but they can make it annoying. 
They start to get anxious about the time, that they might be caught soon. Maddie says she'll try to turn off Zeus, but doesn't know if she can. AJ has plans for a distraction, but needs some spare parts from household items. He needs to get Gabe to sneak in for him. An old microwave and a vacuum cleaner. He already got Gabe to agree to try to get the group things they need for their plan if they come up with a list. No assurances that it'll be successful, but at least an attempt will be made. Robert's plan is very simple. Punch stuff that needs punching. Madison says they'll need clothes because one time her friend broke out of troubled teen camp and they caught her because she was still wearing the camp's jumper and sent her back, so she doesn't want the cohort sent back for getting caught wearing scrubs. Robert suggests they could steal clothes from a nearby store when they break out, but the cohort reminds him that they've been given an offer for plan items, so they may as well not make things harder on themselves and get the cops on them sooner than necessary. Madison mentions having a trust fund when she balks extra hard at theft, but Robert points out, how exactly does she plan to access it? She drops that for the moment and mentions that her parents own a lake house that should be empty this time of the year they can hide out in. AJ repeats they need to work on getting the layout of the ward for their escape and suggests working with Patty. Maddie and Jerry both reject that idea hard. Maddie because she thinks, mostly from hearing Jerry dislike her, that Patty is a sociopath and Jerry because she's still salty about Patty daring to make telepathy inconvenient. She says she'll try to pull the information they need from her instead. Jerry also says Zeus likely knows all about break and lunch times for the staff and would be more pleasant to work with, and the cohort can just trade some gossip with him for the information if he wants anything for it. The guys wonder if the cohort can even trust Zeus, though AJ thinks he'd be a valuable addition to the cohort if he's trustworthy. Robert's notably more skeptical. The cohort discusses back and forth about his probable motives, about what he might want, about how much of his intentions might just be the programming, and how different he might be once outside the server. AJ says that Zeus believes in protecting humanity, and says if they try to show that's what the cohort stands for with their actions, he might try to come with them willingly. In the end, the cohort are too conflicted with what to do with him. The programming makes him too much of a wild card, though they do like him a lot and want to take him with them. They decide to table whether or not to bring him until they see what he's really like outside the server. All except Robert are uncomfortable with the idea that they may end up having to leave Zeus behind. AJ asks the cohort if they have any last requests or ideas before they split up. Jerry mentions at least some of the clothes need to be cotton so they don't melt when she accidentally singes them. She also says that the fact Zeus is so interested in petty gossip seems like a good sign. Computers shouldn't be interested in that. She thinks it's a sign the human part of him is waking up more the more he gossips, and it's a key to get closer to him. AJ and Maddie are hopeful with that sentiment and the cohort leave to continue refining and setting their escape plan into motion. Thanks for listening. This has been Gather Around the Trash Fires with Beck Andrew Evans. 
AJ is played by Rowan. Jerry is played by me. Madison is played by Sin. Robert is played by Pandito. And our storyteller is Casey Grant. Please subscribe to this podcast for future updates and leave a review or comment. I'd love to hear what you think. You can follow me on a few different social platforms with the username BeckAndrew. If you'd like to support me, subscribe to my Patreon at patreon.com slash BeckAndrewTTRPG and purchase my art prints and tabletop products, including my Deviant the Renegades community content novella related to this chronicle, via my link tree in the description. The intro theme is Underscore Violence by Avantist from the Free Music Archive licensed under Creative Commons Attribution International 4.0. The end theme is Time Will Fail Us by Troigo from the Free Music Archive licensed under Creative Commons Attribution International 4.0. If you like the songs, I encourage you to check out more of their work. I've linked their band camps in the description. Until next time.